Right, I hope you've all got your mobile phones. Have you? <laughs> the only reason you might need a mobile phone now is to turn the light on and sway to bind us together. <laughs> so we don't need a mobile phone today. But very useful. Thank you. I didn't see it, I heard it. We ought to get videos of, of your sermons, really. They'd be so much better. <laughs> Not sermons, but the... You have to visualise it when you're listening to it on the podcast, you see. But we're going to continue the series a little bit now, uh, or this mini-series that um, I think Tim put together, the three weeks, on, on, on prayer. And I want to look at two aspects of, of prayer today, very briefly, totally inadequate in the time that we've got, but here we go. The first is listening, and the second is acting. Listening. Queen has been in the news quite a bit, hasn't she, uh, over the last couple of days. Getting people to listen to each other, to communicate, to try and understand each other. I love that line, I might have quoted it before, I'm sorry if I have, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where um, Arthur Dent says, Now is the time I wished I'd listened to what my mother told me. And Ford Prefect said, why, what did your mother tell you? And he said, I don't know, I wasn't listening. (laughs) Listening to God. Prayer is a conversation rather than a monologue. Some of we make it a monologue, don't we? (coughs) We trot out this long list of our prayers. And we forget that it's a conversation. And we forget that we can use the Bible um, conversationally and prayerfully reading through the Psalms and verses of Scripture, all the promises that we have in the Bible, to build up this communication with God. How does God talk to us? Well, usually it's not in a weird way. Wendy and I have just had a few days in Norfolk, and we met some old friends. And uh, as we were walking uh, along the beach, uh, Keith said, have I told you I had the experience of God talking to me? I said, no, Keith, I don't think you have. He said, well, I was taking the dog for a walk through the woods. And I heard this voice saying, go and visit Beryl. Now, I know Beryl. She's long since dead. Um, But she was a bit of a recluse, really. Nobody had ever... I never got into her house. Nobody ever got into her house. And she kept herself to herself very much. Anyway, Keith ignored this. And a bit later on, he heard a voice again. Go and visit Beryl. And the third time, go and visit Beryl. And then he decided it was God saying, go and visit Beryl. So he went to visit Beryl. He knocked on her door. She opened the door. And she said, oh, thank God you've come. I've got to go into hospital this afternoon for a serious operation. And I'm petrified. And we have that incident, don't we, in the, in the book of... Uh, in Sam, with Samuel uh, and Eli... Well, Samuel in the night hears God saying to him. And three times he thinks he's just dreaming. And then Eli says, go and say, I'm listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How often do we actually say that? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How often do we make time or space in our busy lives to be still and listen to God? 
And he speaks to us in so many different ways. How do we discern God speaking to us? How do we discern God listening to us? Uh, us listening to God? How do we interpretate that? Well, there's an ABC, really. First is, well, advice. Now, mental hospitals and wards are full of people who believe that God is speaking to them. Is God speaking? Advice. So go to a wise friend. Somebody who can trust. We should all have soulmates. People who we can trust implicitly with every detail of our lives. It's risky, but it's worth doing. When I was a, a, a vicar, and a young, a young vicar, only just started my first vicar job, I found a very wise man. I'm burying him on this Tuesday, in fact, so your prayers will be appreciated. Because he was a good friend, and I could talk to him about anything. And if I wasn't sure about something, I'd say to him, Glyn, what do you think about this? What is God saying in this? And I could trust him to give me good and wise and sound advice. The second thing, Bible. Is what God is saying in line with the scriptures? Not just single verses. Because we know of many sects that just take a single verse out of the Bible. I don't know whether any of you, any of you are fans of Louis Theroux, but some years ago he did a program with the church in America where they have live snakes in the congregation. Because there's a verse in the Bible that says, and they shall handle snakes. And people get bitten by snakes and some people die, but there's snakes all over the place in the church. Please don't take this up. (laughs) It's so easy to take a verse out of context and say, well, that's God speaking. We've got to do that. We've got to have to take the whole of Scripture together. Is it consistent with the whole of Scripture? And is it consistent with God's character? Is what God is saying to me, does it sound like God? And thirdly, is it in line with our conscience? How does it sit with the still, small voice of my conscience and common sense? God doesn't expect us to give up using our brains when we follow him. And when we listen to him. But we need to make space to listen. So advice, Bible, conscience. Now, how do we follow God? Well, in the Middle East, um, a shepherd doesn't have sheepdogs. In this country, I was... um, those beautiful pictures of the, the Lake District. Oh, why is it only 18-year-olds? Can't, can't I go? <laughs> Although I have to say, um, it brought back memories of when I was about 13 and went on one of those camps. And it was such a powerful spiritual experience for me. I'm sure that experience at that camp set me on the road uh, to where I am. A wonderful time. I commend those camps to you. But up there... 
you see the sheep and you see a shepherd, usually on a four by four now, with a sheepdog. And he whistles at the sheepdog and the sheepdog comes behind the sheep and gathers them together. In the Middle East, it's not like that. The shepherd goes in front with his stick. Come on, come on, follow me, follow me. He doesn't need to look round because the sheep hear his voice and recognise his voice and they follow him. The further away we get from God, the less we recognize his voice. The less time that we spend in prayer and worship and Bible study, the less we are likely to hear God's voice. The more time we spend with God and his people, the more likely we are to hear and recognize his voice. Somebody said, what topic could possibly deserve more of our attention than listening to God? When the source of all life and wisdom speaks, those who would be wise listen. The foolish either don't care or don't learn how to listen. We need to practice listening. A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he came, became more and more quiet until, he, in the end, he realized that prayer is listening. My dear friend Glyn, whose funeral is on Tuesday, was a fervent Welshman from the valleys. And one of his heroes was the poet R.S. Thomas. And this is a prayer that, a poem that is to be read at his funeral service. And it just spoke volumes to me as I was preparing for this service and for his funeral. It's called Kneeling. You may know it. Moments of great calm. Kneeling before an altar of wood in a stone church in summer, waiting for God to speak. The air, a staircase for silence. The sun's light ringing me, as though I acted a great role. And the audiences still. All that close throng of spirits waiting as I for the message. Prompt me, God, but not yet. When I speak, though it be you who speak, through me, something is lost. The meaning is in the waiting. The meaning is in the waiting. So when God speaks, what do we do about it? Well, it's no good for us to be too heavenly minded to be any earthly use. Some Christians can be like that. And some churches can be like that. If we leave it there, what is the point? It develops our relationship with God, yes. And that's a wonderful thing. But we don't live in isolation. God wants us to act as Christians. 
to be the salt and light in this broken world. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not fashionable to talk about evil, but it is entirely biblical. Today is Holocaust Day, Holocaust Memorial Day. And if you have been listening to any of the stories that have been on the radio over the last few days about it, or read any of the literature about it, how can you not say there is evil in the world? And then we look at the newspapers. I I didn't have time to buy one. But I can guarantee what will be in the newspapers today. There will be drugs, knife crime, violence, trafficking, slavery, child abuse. And the list goes on and on and on. Evil is a reality. Orchestrated by the devil, the prince of darkness. Jesus believed that. Jesus knew that. He knew the reality of the devil's power. He went into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry and he was tempted by the devil. And he fought the devil in prayer. He fought the devil through scripture. He rebuked the devil and he overcame the devil. The psalmist wrote, Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you're with me. We have the ultimate weapon. Prayer is the ultimate weapon. And God's word. And the devil cannot win. Now we have to be careful that we don't see the devil in everything. That's easy to do in subcultures in the world. Anything that goes wrong, you get a puncture in your bicycle, the devil's done it. We have to be careful not to go too far. But at the same time, not to pretend there is no such thing as evil and put it down to genetics or whatever. Evil is a reality. And no one can be a pacifist in prayer. We are all caught up in this spiritual battle against the world, the flesh and the devil. And in our promises, at our baptism, either on our behalf or at our confirmation when we confirmed those promises, in the Anglican Church, we would have had this prayer. You will have heard it. Do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. Fight valiantly against a disciple of Christ, against sin, the world, and the devil. And remain faithful to Christ to the end of your life. And then the minister says, May Almighty God deliver you from the powers of darkness and lead you in the light and obedience of Christ. And all of us who have been baptised will have had that prayer or something similar said for us. We are in a battle, a spiritual battle. 
And we forget it at our peril. We dismiss it at our peril. You see, we live in the gap. We live in the gap between Christ's victory on the cross and his return when all suffering and pain will go, as we read in Revelation chapter 21. It's a little bit like a few years ago, do you remember, I think it was 2010, those 33 Chilean miners that were trapped underground. And they were trapped in a chamber underground. And it happened on the 5th of August, 2010. On the 23rd of August, a probe of about this big broke through into the cavern where they were. And communication was established. There was food and water sent down this tiny little tube to them. But they had to wait. They were safe, but they weren't rescued. They weren't on their own, but they weren't reunited with their families. On the, 23rd of, uh, on the 13th of October, from the 5th of August to the 13th of October, before that tube reached them. If you remember, there was a tube that went down and they came up. And that's a little bit of a metaphor, isn't it, for the times in which we live. We have that light, that shaft of life. We have communication with our Heavenly Father. But in the meantime, we have to wait. But in the waiting, we have to be active. We must listen to what God is saying, and we must act. I was reading J. John's blog the other day. He said, we seem, interestingly, to be living in interesting times. I'm not going to use the B word. Where our society is torn by division, instability and polarisation. It's an ugly period where lies have been legitimised, nastiness normalised, and rage has become routine. How should we as Christians react? And there are a number of inadequate responses. The first is to dismiss everything, all the rubbish that's going on. Have a cup of tea and carry on. It'll go. We survived the war, didn't we? We survived the Nazis. We've survived the Black Death. We've survived it all. It'll be all right in the end. And we carry on regardless. The second inadequate reaction to what's going on in our world is despair. And that's a perfectly normal and reasonable reaction, isn't it? Oh, give up. When you... When you look at your news, you, go, you just want to groan, don't you? It's so depressing. And you think, well, there's nothing we can do about any of this, so we might as well ignore it and get on with our own lives. It seems to be the simplest way, doesn't it? Don't let it get to you, and perhaps, la, 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 it'll go away. And the third, and probably the most dangerous reaction, is disengagement. We look around at the turmoil and tiptoe quietly away. And we hope that by retreating tortoise-like into our shells, we can escape all the furore. 
Just remember, an inward-looking church today is an empty church tomorrow. An inward-looking church today is an empty church tomorrow. And if we're just concerned with ourselves and our own well-being, and don't get involved in the world because it's nasty and horrible and we can't cope with it, then we will die. Jesus sent us out into the world as soldiers of Christ. And for Christians, disengagement is not an option. And today, we see principalities and powers at work behind human trafficking. And don't say it doesn't happen, because it does. It happens in our car washes around the city and other places. Government oppression and corruption. Looks what happens in so many places, Venezuela being the, the latest for all that's going on in our newspapers today. Unbridled greed and consumerism. Me, me, me. Selfishness. Snowflakes, I think they're called. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, it's about me. And I don't care about anybody else, it's about me. Institution where abuse and lawlessness become systemic. Multinational companies that choose to abuse people on the planet, even though most of their employees wouldn't behave that way in their private lives. Don't tell me the disaster in Brazil, the mudslide, drowning all those people in mud, isn't part of that, of corporate killing and evil. What do we do about it? How do we react to all this? How do we react to lives of people we know being ruined? In our streets, our towns, our villages, where evil seems to corrupt and spoil and destroy, like a snake sliding under a door. No wonder the devil is depicted as a serpent. How do we react? How do we do it? Well, there are two ways, I think. There's a negative way, where we are aggressive and we take on the qualities of those we oppose. That isn't God's way. That's not Jesus' way. His way is the way of love. And I believe the first thing that we should do is look and see what is God doing? Where is the Holy Spirit working in our workplace, our school, our university, our street, our family? Look at the positive. And then look and see what Satan is doing to try and oppose that. And what can we do to stop him? It's better generally to plant seeds than to pull up weeds. It's better to plant seeds than to pull up weeds. So how can we do that? Well, first, we have authority. We have been given authority. 
Remember that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The theologian Karl Barth wrote this. In Christ we are set at God's side and lifted up to him. And therefore to the place where decisions are made, decisions are made in the affairs of his government. And this is what takes place in Christian prayer. We find ourselves at the very seat of government, at the very heart of the mystery and purpose of all occurrence. We are not powerless. We are with Christ in the heavenly places. And Christ has defeated sin and death and evil. So we have that authority. And we can pray in the name of Jesus, and that is powerful. So when we find something that is wrong, and we feel that something is wrong, and the hairs on your back of your neck stand up because it's not right, we pray in the name of Jesus, risen, ascended, and glorified, and banish the works of the devil. We pray for protection for our homes, our streets, our towns, our villages, that God would protect them from the attacks of the evil one. And we have been given the authority by the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. Don't be frightened of using the name of Jesus, name above every name. And the time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, blessing, not cursing. It's so much better to bless people. Remember that we're dealing with real people. And people are like they are for a reason. They are hurting. They are broken. They need love. My own experience is this is with my mother who for 30 years suffered from desperate clinical depression. And in the early 70s, there were all kinds of new drugs coming on the market which scrambled her brain. And then she was in hospital. And a group of well-meaning Christians came into the hospital and tried to deliver her from the evil that was within her. When all she needed was love. All she needed was to be listened to. To be sat with. To be prayed with. To be held. To be told that she was special and precious and loved. Not to be treated like a, a dwelling place for the devil. Sometimes possession is a reality. But 99% of the time, that's not for us to deal with does happen where we go to a home and the devil has got his toe holding and we tell him to go clear off and a friend used to call him sneaky boots, just go away you are not welcome here, this home belongs to the Lord Jesus so it's better to bless people, to bring God's love into a situation because perfect love casts out all fear. 
And thirdly, common sense. As I said earlier, God doesn't expect us to leave our brains on the mantelpiece. Is there a practical response? If somebody's suffering, if somebody comes to me and they're not very well, first thing I say, have you been to the doctor? Are you on medication? But, and there will be an opportunity at all times, sometimes we are struggling with an evil. Sometimes we struggle with things that we know are not of God. The devil has somehow crept into our lives and hooked onto us. And we find ourselves doing things that we know we don't want to do. But we still find ourselves doing it. And Paul says, who will deliver us? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in prayer ministry, we can say to, to somebody, look, I'm really struggling with this. Will you pray for me? But sometimes we can discern also when somebody is struggling with someone. When we listen to God, and we know that this person, and they may not know it themselves. Many's the time somebody's come to me with a problem, and it hasn't been the problem at all. And God has been able to show me and others what the real problem is. And to see healing and wholeness come from that. That's discernment. We need to pray for that gift of discernment. What is from God and what is not of God. Bless what God is doing. And banish what the devil is doing. And finally, there's a story widely claimed to be about Oliver Cromwell. During a financial crisis in Britain, silver, the basis of currency, was in short supply. When someone pointed out there were large amounts of silver to be found in the statues of saints in churches and cathedrals, Cromwell made a bold suggestion. Let's melt down all the saints and put them into circulation. That's a prophetic challenge, isn't it? Let's melt down all the saints and put them into circulation. Let's melt down all the churches and put them into circulation. That's what God wants us to do. Listening and acting. And finally, finally, two finalists, and I promise there's no three finalists, a favourite hymn. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. Yea, in thy name, O captain of salvation, in thy dear name, above all names, Jesus, our righteousness, our sure foundation, our prince of glory and our king of love. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day, thy grace to know. Yet from our hearts, a song of triumph pealing, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle, 
thine shall be the praise. When reigning in thy kingdom of thy splendor, victors we rest with thee through endless days. Be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. <laughs> 